If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the results of Three Down Nation survey from downtown Toronto. John Mechie the third, winning the John Cornish Trophy for the second straight year. Winnipeg signing former All-Star receiver Jalen Saunders. Riders QB Cody Fajardo drawing motivation from some comments by one Mr. Chris Jones. And Paxton Lynch's debut in the USFL. But first. In a deleted and then reposted tweet, former CFL head coach Mark Tressman called the chatter surrounding rule changes in the three down league, hash marks in the ratio, a distraction and suggested the league simply needs to focus on growing the fan base. Is that fair criticism? I think it's very fair. And the reality is, By and large, and this is generalizing here, but by and large, the CFL's hardcore fans don't want the rules to change and don't want the ratio tampered with. We've seen that repeatedly on social media and various polls and the like. Casual fans don't know what the ratio is and don't really know what the existing rules are, or at least people who are future prospective fans certainly don't know what the ratio is. And so I 100% see what Mark Tressman is saying here, and I think it's it's totally fair criticism. I do like the idea of moving, of moving the hash marks. I think that's a legitimate way to produce more big plays, which will obviously draw more eyeballs and make it easier to develop new fans. But Yeah, by and large, unless you're a hardcore CFL person, which let's be honest, if you listen to this podcast, you probably are. You don't know what the ratio is. So this conversation about the ratio, this and that, I think largely is a unneeded distraction. Let's focus on recruiting new people, getting these games to be must attend events across the country and having the slickest broadcast possible on television to bring in new members for the audience. I think that some of these rule changes do go into that category of potentially growing the fan base. You touch on the hash marks. I'm in favor of that idea. I think it could create a more exciting offensive CFL. Now, I understand why Mark Tressman isn't a fan of it. He brought up Ricky Ricky Ray throwing a wide side corner dimes, and that was one of my favorite plays back in the, the day, too. But I'll point out, I don't think there's the next Ricky Rain necessarily in the pipeline right now for CFL quarterbacks. And so making those wide side throws a little bit easier um, goes in the CFL's favor. However, Tressman hits the nail right on the head here in terms of the distraction on some of these other rule changes, whether, whether you're talking about downs or whether you're talking about the ratio. And it continues to be that way. And the CFL cannot get out of its own way here. Look at the comments made by Randy Ambrosi earlier this week uh, at his appearance uh, in front of uh, the Ticats fans for Randy's road trip, where he's talking about the CFL ratio. And he starts off by saying, 
no, we're not anti-Canadian in the CFL. That's a bunch of baloney. And then goes on to explain in great detail why he thinks we should reduce the amount of Canadians because the players on the roster simply don't deserve it. And there's not enough good players in youth sports and registration is down, which quite frankly, most of those are at best misleading and at worst, complete outright lies by the commissioner in terms of the state of Canadian content. I totally agree with you, JC. There's two things I want to get to here. So first, I'll touch on what you led into, and that has to do with Ambrosi and his fake news. He's talking about participation in football being down. Well, yeah, duh. We just went through a pandemic where no football was played in this country at any level for an entire year, including the CFL. But if you look at right now, and he referenced this, the amount of Canadians in the NFL the amount of Canadians in the NCAA, and we all know that U Sports has gotten much, much better in terms of the athletes that they put out, that we are in the golden age of football in our country in terms of producing talent. So that, to me, is garbage. Ambrosi is trying to talk the hardcore fans into being all right with the ratio potentially being gone. We got to remember the last time a CBA was discussed, not just tweaked because of COVID, but actually put together, there were people on the CFL side, and even, to be quite honest, on the CFLPA side, that wanted the ratio gone altogether. The other thing that I think is very important to think about here is, we talked about it off the top, and Tressman alluded to it, that if you're trying to attract new fans to your game, but all they hear about for the majority of this offseason is the fact that we need to go to four downs. What does that say to somebody that has never heard anything about the CFL? It immediately says that even the league does not feel like their game is good enough. So what does that say to a potential consumer or, heaven forbid, a new fan that the CFL will draw into it? Well, that's going to tell them that it's not good enough because they're making all these changes. And I'll say, as a former U Sports quarterback, we don't need to touch the hash marks, okay? You got the arm strength, <laughs> like Ricky Ray in the corner route. You can put that ball out there. I can remember attacking field side corners when we felt like we had the opportunity to do so. We're not talking about just wide field outs, the comeback routes or the corner routes. Like there were corners where we would look to set up a comeback and go or just a straight go route because we felt like we could put one of our better receivers over there. And if the defense doesn't shift, then you have arguably the worst cover guy in the secondary on the field going against your best receiver. So I would say, let's be more creative. Let's be open to the idea that our game actually is fun and fast-paced and can create points without moving the hash marks around. Like that to me is baloney because then what you're going to do is you're going to have the field equal sides. I don't like that. I like the difference in our game, how you have that wider side throw. So let's just be more creative about it. That's all well and good. The one thing that caught me about what Ambrosi said, I, I do think it's legitimate if this number is true. You know, does one of every 20 U sports players have to go pro and play in the CFL? I love U sports football. I think the answer is probably not, um, especially when, as he said, it's 10 times uh, more, right? We have one in just under 300 from college football making the jump to the professional level in the NFL. But it is also, he, he said on the one hand, we don't need the ratio necessarily because players are the best they've ever been. Look at how many there are in the NFL. But also, 
you know, the obvious reason they're looking to change the ratio is they don't think that Canadian talent is good enough. So to me, that is 100% talking out of both sides of your mouth. Canadian talent can't simultaneously suck and simultaneously be the best that it ever has been. That simply can't be. Uh, the other thing I'll point out was the excellent column that you wrote, JC, where you pointed out that what makes the CFL exciting, what makes college football so exciting is those mismatches, right? If you can have Kenny Lawler line up at field side wide receiver and go up against a rookie from Carlson, that's when you're going to get some really big plays, right? I'm not, I don't believe that Canadian talent's in fear, but if you buy into that argument, if anything, that's a way to make the game more exciting, not less exciting, because you're going to get those mismatches and those big plays. Dunk, you talked about taking advantage of mismatches, particularly to the field side. So to me, I'm not an advocate for changing the ratio. I do think this is a distraction for bigger things that the CFL could do to generate new fans. Maybe this genius partnership that Ambrosi's talking about when any possible opportunity to mention it comes along is a way to do that and engage fans with fantasy and betting. Uh, but personally, I, I agree with Tressman. A lot of this seems to be uh, heavily anyways, distraction based. There is this logical fallacy in his argument that Canadians don't need the ratio because look, there's, there's five guys who went to the NFL last year or, or six or seven. I mean, that was an anomalously high number. We're not going to see the same number this year. We're not going to see the same number every year. But even from the standpoint of there's more Canadians in the NFL, I don't think that is a statement to whether we need the ratio or not, right? Because the high end has always been there. And in part, the high end is getting more NFL opportunities because, in my opinion, the CFL has not done enough in recent years to grow grassroots in Canada. And so the U.S. prep school circuit has looked to this country as you know, a, a feeding ground for some of their top talent. The idea that these guys aren't getting enough resources, aren't getting the proper coaching. They haven't been getting the funding or support from the top level down. So we'll steal them. We'll get them in front of NCAA scouts and get them these college opportunities. There's more Canadians in the NCAA than ever before. I was looking at the numbers. You cut out Simon Fraser, which is an entire NCAA team here that that plays in, in, uh, in Burnaby and, and plays their full U.S. schedule, which has roughly 50% of the roster Canadian, even excluding them, we have like 203 Canadians on NCAA rosters. That's like four extra U sports teams that you've got talent to pull from. And that number has gone up dramatically just, just five years ago. It was like 60 or 70 players less than that number. It's go gone up and it's because consistently the top 30, 35 high school players in Canada are going down south because they're not getting the resources they need here, in part because the CFL has ignored grassroots, has not put in the work to grow their fan base, and has shown, quite frankly, no desire to do so. They'd rather focus on these made-up problems and pretend like there's some issue with Canadian talent and we can get easier access to these Americans the reality, you got to do the work. If you think the bottom of the roster Canadians are not good enough, well, you need to put money into the developmental system. 
You need to start partnering more with youth sports. You need to start partnering more with Football Canada, with local community leagues, with high school leagues. You need to do the work. If you're not willing to do that, just stop talking about it. And quite frankly, I will say one more thing. It is absolutely disgusting to me the certain individuals who are pushing this conversation about the ratio, including Ambrosi, who are Canadian, who enjoy long, successful CFL careers because of the ratio. Now, there was talent involved, don't get me wrong, but they had much longer careers than they would have otherwise because they were granted the, afford- the ability to do so with the ratio. They used those careers to have success in business and then get in positions within the CFL where they're making a good chunk of change and they have power and now they want to pull the ladder up behind them. And quite frankly, to me, I find that disgusting. And if you want to take away the ratio, if you're one of those guys who benefited from it and now you want to reduce it or take it away, go ahead and do that, but at least have the balls to resign afterwards and acknowledge that you profited off it. Or change the name of the league. It won't be the Canadian Football <laughs> League anymore. You need to change Canadian and take it out of it. And I'm serious, JC, you make a great point. You could argue that Ambrosi and some of the people behind the scenes that want to change the ratio would not be in the positions they are today, Ambrosi as commissioner, for an example, if there was not a ratio. Because you could argue that Ambrosi, and he jokes about not being very good. Now, we don't have the film to go back and check it, but might not have even made a roster coming out of the University of Manitoba. And then he wouldn't have had the opportunity to be on the CFL Players Association executive board and then combine that with the business background that he has to get in the commissioner's chair today. The other issue that I really just cannot understand is Ambrosi saying, well, participation in football in this country at a grassroots level is down, but the CFL, and by what I mean by that, is the league office has literally done, as JC said, next to nothing to grow that. Like you see the NFL out there with their flag football initiative in every major city in Canada, at least once a year. And you see the branded footballs, you see the branded flags that the kids have. The CFL has been offered on multiple occasions to be involved in these things without even having to spend a red penny. I know pennies don't even exist really anymore, but they could have been in on these things for free and they decided not to do it. People in the league who are Canadian, obviously passionate about the ratio and Canadians being in the league, will tell you Ambrosi would rather spend thousands of dollars to bring even just one global player, let alone 30 plus, to Toronto for a combine that doesn't really matter for them because a lot of these guys were in the global draft last year. What if you took that money, heaven forbid, and invested it in grassroots football in Canada? There are still domestic issues here. You need to fix, obviously, Toronto. You need to fix Vancouver. Montreal had somewhat of a renaissance there. But still, you need to grow the game in this country before you get way ahead of yourselves. And we say this many times, I think, on this podcast and on 3 Down Nation as well, that you need to make sure you're strong at your core. So why not invest in that? And the only reason that the ratio exists in my mind is because of a bias from American coaches. Now, to be fair, it's not all of them. There are some of them that realize if you give these Canadians time to develop, that they can, in some cases, become better than the Americans that you might argue get more chances to fail 
and can still stay on a roster. So until you somehow figure out a way to take that bias out, and yeah, I'm going to talk about it. It happens at the Canadian quarterback position, and it has for years, but we've seen some of the other positions come around. Then the ratio has to stay. Otherwise, change the name of your league. Complicated football league, but Canadian cannot be in it. Well, now that we've recorded an entire podcast's worth of content about our first topic, <laughs> I think it's time to go on to our second topic, unless either of you uh, would like a second shot on the soapbox. Any takers? Well, I mean, Hodge, uh, I'll uh, always okay. take one, but I'll let, I'll I let you go. I'll let okay, you go. we'll move on. Alabama receiver John Metchie third had a great day on Tuesday, winning the John Cornish Trophy for the second consecutive year as the top Canadian player in NCAA football and finished number one on the final CFL Scouting Bureau rankings for 2022. Where do you see Metchie getting selected in the upcoming NFL draft? Ooh, it's my goodness. It's, it's difficult to pin it down because of his injury. Unfortunately, that, that torn ACL has an impact on your draft stock and teams have not been able to see him on the field yet to see how he's recovered. If he's still got that quickness from a pure talent standpoint, I mean, he's a, he's a second round guy. In my opinion, I think he probably still goes in that second to third round range. He, he won't see day, uh, day three of the draft. And he's going to be a guy who probably exceeds where he's drafted. If he's recovered from that injury, because it is, it has brought down his stock slightly. Once he gets back to full force, uh, he's a baller. He can contribute in multiple ways. He's a great route runner. He's really tough. I love him as a blocker. Uh, he can hit people, as we saw two years ago when he uh, absolutely decleated that DB from Florida. But just a guy <laughs> who can contribute in so many ways for your offense and I think has a ton of potential at the next level. Yeah, for those that don't know, Mechie the third Canadian, born in Brampton. And I bet there's a lot of kids in Brampton that will be highly talented football players after watching him at the University of Alabama. And the CFL has done nothing to help that grow. Let's just have that out there, okay, as part of the first discussion. Mechie the third in terms of an NFL receiver, very intriguing. Jason, you talked about his physicality as a blocker. I think he fits this new version of the NFL so well because he can line up all over and he's really dangerous from the slot. And there was some talk about it when he was at the combine that maybe the new England Patriots could select him and pair him back up with his college quarterback, Mac Jones. And I think that makes a lot of sense because the Patriots need playmakers and bill Belichick is going to love a guy like Mechie the third, who's always been very careful with his words in front of the media. Doesn't really say very much. Belichick will certainly like that. And the way that he's an all-around receiver, I think he could fit very well in that Patriots offense. It's always hard to peg who might pick a guy in terms of a team. But I just think that fit makes a ton of sense on a lot of levels. And it also gives Jones some comfort there and helps him have a guy on the field that he's actually thrown balls to, a lot of balls to, while they were with the Crimson Tide. I will jump on that point just quickly. You, you say Mechie was born in Brampton. He actually wasn't. He was born in Taiwan. Um, Oops, but raised there. So he's a global. This is evidence that the global <laughs> draft he, he global was raised in Brampton. Paid off. But, <laughs> but this is another guy, when I talked about prep schools earlier, who had to go down south for his last years of high school in order to get that Alabama attention. But I think it, it – poses a, a really interesting example for us when we talk about the ratio and 
John Mechie has a brother who plays in the CFL, Royce Mechie, who went to your beloved University of Guelph and was selected in the fifth round of the CFL draft and has turned into one of the best Canadian defensive backs in the entire league. These are two guys who obviously same genetic material, right? Same background, but took very different paths. And you can see that a guy like Royce has exceeded uh, where he was drafted, where teams thought of him because he was Canadian. And John Mechie III, simply because he went to the University of Alabama, has you know much much more uh, stars in his eyes in terms of the NFL and and where CFL teams see him if he were to ever come north, which he won't. But they well, pose a, an interesting side by side comparison in terms of that discussion we had earlier. You got to correct Dunk JC, so I'm going to correct you. Royce Mechie was a third round pick out of Guelph, uh, but your point is still <laughs> well bad. taken. To me, I I hope that the, the the Patriots are not in a position to draft John Mechie because every receiver they take in the draft turns out to not work out. They have been horrible drafting receivers. The spot I want John Mechie to get picked, and I'll go on the record predicting it right now. I think he goes number 52 to the Pittsburgh Steelers because the Pittsburgh Steelers have made a ton of hay in recent years, taking receivers in the second round. They lost Juju Smith-Schuster and who better to replace him than the Canadian Roy, uh, pardon me, John Mechie, the third, and you can pair him with Chase Claypool and all Canadian receiving core with the Steelers. And I would love that because that would mean Pittsburgh is starting more Canadian receivers than any team in the CFL because no one starts more than two in Canada these days. Um, so I would love that. That's that's my prediction. I'm sticking to it. 52 to the Steelers. I like how you going on the record, man. That's ballsy like to put it. something down like that. But the Steelers could make sense for a lot of the reasons that the Patriots could because he's an all-around dude. You know he's going to block. Claypool was lauded for his physicality coming out of Notre Dame as well. So it makes a ton of sense. really does. Uh, our new contributor, Sarah said, wrote a piece for us after stopping 100 random people on the streets of Toronto to ask them about the CFL, most of whom were under the age of 35. Only 20% of respondents said they follow the CFL, but 52% indicated they are open to taking a bigger interest in the league. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, we should say there was a little bit of blowback on this on Twitter saying, well, most of the people were under 35 and you only talked to 100. It's random, obviously, but the data matches up and Sarah did a great job of this with the other surveys that have been done in this country in terms of the age demographics of it. So to me, the big number there that's intriguing is the amount of people that were actually open to learning more about the CFL. So again, you need to go out and do the work. Just like we talked about with grassroots football, the league office needs to go out and do the work. And the teams now need to go out and do the work and sell tickets two by two and get in front of people. Guys, I'll tell you, I'm in downtown Toronto a decent amount. And really all I saw in terms of signage or any visibility last year was one sign at a bus stop. Now, I was told they were sprinkled throughout the city. And it was actually coming from TSN. It was a TSN, CFL on TSN sign. So there needs to be more visibility in Toronto, people getting in front of people. And I think it's been talked about in the past, and they've kind of tried this. But you need to get into that area. 
that's right around BMO Field. Liberty Village is sprawling with young people looking for things to do. And if you look at, for example, I don't think you guys have ever been there, but the Molson Amphitheater that's just literally right across the road from BMO, whenever there's a concert there, people flock there. And you can get down there with transit. You can also drive down there as well. And they're literally walking right past BMO Field to go to the concerts. So it doesn't surprise me that young people would say, yeah, I'd be open to looking at something to do. So now it's the CFL's job to go out and get them. I couldn't agree more. And that and 52%, that's the number, right? That's the number. I'm not surprised you're only 20% of the respondents follow the CFL. But when 52%, more than half of these people who are overwhelmingly young and in the heart of downtown Toronto, 52, more than half, there's 6 million people in the GTA. More than half, and it's a small sample size, 100, 100, 100 people in the poll. I get it. But 52% are interested in learning more or, or there's ways in which you could engage them. Now, of those people, some said they want four downs or NFL rules. Some said we want more increased marketing. We need stars. Some people said, well, we want tailgating opportunities. Now, it takes time and effort and money to reach these people and to educate these people. But when over half of these young people in Toronto, at the very least, are interested in learning more about the CFL, that is data that you can run with. Again, it's a small sample size, but Sarah did an amazing job with this piece. She knocked it out of the park. And I think that 52% number is very encouraging. Again, these are not things that you can take for granted. It's not like these, these 52% of people are going to show up of their own volition. But if you can actually reach out to these people and actually market your product to them, I think 52% is a solid jump off point for people who might be interested in learning more. Just because, again, there's so many bloody people in that area. You don't need that many of them to catch on to go ahead and fill BMO field. I will say I, I don't put a tremendous amount of stock into the smaller figures as a part of the, the survey in terms of the ideas that these 52% of people brought forth as, as to why they might show more interest, because some of them are fairly difficult to implement. Uh, one person brought up you know, a connection to March Madness in terms of youth sports. I, I don't know how you pull that off. The people who aren't interested, clearly, you know, they don't have an understanding of the inner workings of some of the things in order to request necessarily something that could happen or take place. However, you guys both touched on it. That 52 to 48 is a really good margin for the CFL. And I think the thing, the broader overwhelming term that came up from that 52% was the marketing. And that's just not been there, even with MLSC at the helm. You have to, have to, have to attract people into the stadium, offer them deals, uh, offer them concerts, offer them all these different things that some of the other teams have done. I don't think Toronto has done as good a job at, even though they're in a more desperate situation in terms of trying to get people in the stadium. Young people want something to do. Make it cool for them. You know, make it an event. They've successfully done that in Ottawa. I do not understand why it can't happen in Toronto. Do we think that Genius Sports has this data, boys? Should Sarah sell it to them? <laughs> I, I will also say anyone who's criticizing Sarah because this is not, you know, a professional survey, of course it's not. But I dare you to go outside and talk to 100 people in the middle of downtown of your city. 
Like that's tremendous initiative on her part. Um, obviously this is all the data has to be taken with a grain of salt. It's not, you know, an 8,000 person survey, but kudos to who, to her for doing it. it. Takes a lot to go out and actually ask for hundred people, man. But again, I think junior sports should take this data and run with it. It'd be smart for them to do that. It'd be almost genius. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers signed former CFL All-Star receiver Jalen Saunders. How do you see him fitting into the club's offensive attack? Well, I think it's going to be a pretty seamless fit, to be honest. I mean, this team lost a couple of targets in free agency, right? They lost Darvin Adams. He went to Ottawa. And they lost Kenny Lawler, which was the real big hit. He was the number one target in the CFL last year. He left by a free agency to Edmonton. Uh, Winnipeg did bring in Greg Ellingson in the slot, which I think is a pretty seamless fit. But bringing in Jalen Saunders, who I see also in the slot, I think means that this receiving core went from having one question mark to zero question marks. I see uh, Rashid Bailey moving into Adam's spot at the boundary wide receiver position, which means your starting slot bags are you've you've got uh, Nick Dembski, who is the number one Canadian in the NFL last, or the CFL last year receiving wise. You've got Greg Ellingson, who's a perennial All Star, might be in the Hall of Fame one day, and then you've got Saunders now. Saunders, it should be noted, is coming off a car accident before that, had a very serious knee injury, hasn't played any live snaps since 2018, but he's only 29 years old, and the last time we saw him on the field, he was unbelievable, guys. Like, this guy has 1,909 yards over just 25 career CFL games. He's averaging over 80 yards a start, and the fact that he also played in Hamilton with Zach Kolaris, I think, is very notable because... Those two already have that chemistry, uh, not only on the field, but off the field as well. You're not bringing in a complete unknown. Uh, so I think this is a great move for Winnipeg. I think their receiving core was really the only spot you could point at coming out of free agency to go, okay, I got some questions about this. How's this going to look? And I think they've answered them. And by the way, they've done it inexpensively after Kenny Lawler went and signed for 300 grand at Edmondson. They're paying Greg Ellingson and Jalen Saunders less than that combined than just Lawler's getting in Edmondson. So I think they've done a very smart job of this, and it's a great move. It's low risk, high reward, which I don't think you can beat. If he's healthy, he's an impact player for the Bombers. And I would argue his high end and some of the things he can do as an athlete with his, his smaller frame might be more explosive than what Kenny Lawler can do. Now, they have different skill sets. I love Lawler. He's a bigger body, but I really liked Saunders when he was in Hamilton, and I thought he was absolutely a game-breaker. I'm excited to see what he can do in the Winnipeg offense if he's healthy because obviously the knee injury followed by the car accident, the time off, you don't know what effect that has had, but that allows you to get him for a little bit cheaper. The upgrade here over having to start probably Kelvin McKnight, who has not yet proven himself in the CFL now to have somebody who's a former all-star in that slot. It's just a fantastic addition by the bombers, a really savvy move. This is one of those signings that doesn't get a lot of fanfare because it comes well after free agency. I feel like we've seen some of these in the past, especially with the Calgary Stampeders who have shown that they'll wait it out a little bit, but it's different because of Saunders in this situation with the car accident. But it's one of these signings that I think we'll look back on and say, Hey, that was a really savvy it was a bargain rate deal that they got Saunders for. Obviously, he wants to get back on the football field and get playing, and we all hope he can do that. But because he hasn't been on the field, 
that means that he doesn't have as much value as he did coming off what that thousand yard season I believe he had in 2018 or 2019. So this is a guy most importantly for the Bombers that gives them that vertical stretch element that I think they were sorely lacking when Lawler left and took all those bags of money to go with Chris Jones and the Elks. Santino Filoso, our excellent contributor, wrote about his idea for Saskatchewan and Ottawa to play an annual Ryder Rumble, a game that would feature vintage uniforms, graphics, and music. Do you think that's a smart idea? If I was the CFL, the check would already be in the mail to Santino. (laughs) By the rights to that idea, and I implement it immediately. I think it's fantastic. One thing that, that CFL fans do love, particularly that, that older demographic, is nostalgia. And for good reason. This is a league that for a long time has marketed itself due to its historical connection, harkening back to the heyday. And this is a fantastic way to do it for l- very little money. I mean, the teams exist and get retro uniforms, which will sell like hotcakes, put them on the field, and play this every year, it'll be an instant classic between two of the best fan bases in the, in the modern CFL. And I cannot see a reason why the CFL would not jump on this immediately. It seems really smart to me and something that I'm a little surprised in the way that the league didn't come up with before this because the Red Blacks have been back for a number of years. Although, and Santino makes a point of this in his piece, when the Ottawa franchise came back into the league, the Rough Riders and Saskatchewan made sure that they couldn't go back and use that Rough Riders name with a space in between it that Ottawa had previously used in the past. So perhaps the Saskatchewan Rough Riders don't want any part of that, but I think it would be prudent from a business perspective to create another, let's call it sort of hype or event around a game like you do with the Labor Day Classics, because really outside of Labor Day weekend, it's not like there are events created outside of Touchdown Atlantic for me. So it would certainly do that. It would give a storyline to the game. And as JC mentioned, you could go back over the history of it and really hit home with fans. Yeah, and this is the marketing that we're talking about, a perfect example of it. You need to make these games into events. And the Banjo Bowl was literally just an idea that Jerry (laughs) Mislowski had in Winnipeg to say, hey, we had this funny thing that Troy Westwood said. What if we did this? And if you go back a decade or or not even half a decade before that, there were some clever folks in Saskatchewan who said, hey, what if we told our fans to wear watermelons on their heads to support the riders? Like these things that we take for granted now as part of CFL culture were literally just ideas that someone had. They implemented, people ran with them. Like in a perfect world, when you have nine regular season games, you should have nine events, right? When, when, and we know Labor Day is a big deal. We know the Banjo Bulls a big deal. There are some geographical rivalries, right? Touchdown Atlantic, but you need to come up with something like this for every team, right? Every game should have an event, should have a thing, should have a theme. The Riders just announced their themes for a bunch of games. I think that's great. This should be one of them. And I, you, you mentioned it, JC. The only real expense that comes with doing this is the jerseys, with which, guess what? You're going to make back no problem, especially in Ottawa, where I'm sure lots of people have been dying for vintage Rough Riders gear, Ottawa Rough Riders gear, that is, and it hasn't necessarily been made available. So to me, this is simple, and it should be the start of, of all kinds of opportunities, right? It, 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 
you just need some creative people and you need a little bit of a budget. It's not, it's not that complicated of a recipe for success. Make these things happen and, and, and people will come. I really believe that. I see potential for other opportunities as well. Just off the top of my head, what if you had the Montreal Alouettes, you got them in Baltimore Stallions throwbacks, you brought them <laughs> out to BC here, you do a, you know, a throwback to the 1994 Grey Cup, you know, the Canada versus the US. I mean, it's things like that, fun little events where you can you know, mark a moment in history with some nostalgia, get the fans fired up. I think there's no downside to doing it. Riders QB Kogi Fajaro is drawing a lot of motivation from criticism made by media-heavy Edmonton Elks head coach and general manager Chris Jones. Will that help Fajaro perform better with the green and white next season? It could, man. Athletes are always looking for motivation and that edge to help them win more games or in Fajardo's case, he's looking to get to that Grey Cup and ideally hoist it on home soil in Saskatchewan at Mosaic Stadium, but I don't necessarily want to go down this road, although I think we need to, because we've talked about Fajardo and social media and him potentially setting it aside or getting somebody else to run it or not looking at it, mostly the negative comments that seem to bother him. And to me, this is somewhat of a similar situation. It's going to be very hard for him not to hear about any of these comments. I would imagine you know, in the locker room during training camp or throughout the season, and especially leading up to the first time they play the Elks, that these are going to be mentioned, maybe even by teammates talking about, hey, we want to show Jones and we want to help you do what you can, especially with your arm to make sure that he knows that you can beat him as a passer. But honestly, this is not ideal from my perspective, just based on 2021 and Fajardo being open, although that's great in our society right now to talk about those things out in the open. I don't necessarily think it helps him as an athlete. I think he has extreme motivation already. He alluded to it. The pressure of hoisting the Grey Cup and just even being in that game in Saskatchewan is enough already. So it can help in some ways, but it depends how that's working in Fajardo's head. And if it's anything like social media and him in 2021, then it might not necessarily be a net benefit. Yeah, and... and Look, I, I think what Cody Fajardo said about being on social media is admirable to a large extent. He's talked about his faith and how he wants to reach fans locally, you know, or, or even nationally, right? People who cheer for him, especially younger people, right? Kids who play the game. I think that's wonderful the way that he wants to connect. But let's ask this question. Why would Chris Jones publicly take a shot at Cody Fajardo? There's only one answer. He's trying to live rent free in Cody Fajardo's head. So when you come out and you say, oh, this is my revenge season, as he said to uh, Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post, or he talks about wanting to have this, you know, and our quote was a lot of motivation. You're, you know, it, I think that's what Chris Jones wants. He wants you to try to force the ball the next time he plays your team. And guess what? If you try to fit it in to that spot where that deep ball is not really available, it's going into Deron Carter's hands for a pick six. <laughs> and Chris Jones is laughing all the way to the bank. And by the way, that pick six will then yield hate on social media. And the cycle just continues. So I think what Cody Fajardo, I think his reasoning behind wanting to be on social media is great. I think the fact that he is involved is great. And his heart is in the right place is great. But sometimes you just need to let sleeping dogs lie. And if Chris Jones is trying to get into your head, 
sometimes you need to, you, you just need to put the phone down and walk away rather than giving into it. Because guess what? Chris Jones, I'm sure, is the happiest person to read this quote from Cody Fajardo. Chris Jones is always going to be playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. You guys have hit the nail on the head. He's he's playing Kogi Fajardo here. He's trying to set up Duran Carter for that that viral interception. And Fajardo's playing a little bit into his hands, although I think he was fairly measured in his comments. What I will say is these are two guys who I don't think would get along under any circumstances, very different individuals. I know Fajardo has mentioned in comments in the past that he really couldn't see himself ever playing for Chris Jones. They just don't mesh personality-wise. And he alludes to that in his comments in terms of calling him media heavy. Now, I think some media people would be surprised by that description of Chris Jones based on how... uh, how he uh, is in, in some press conferences with the media, but he certainly utilizes the press in order to get his uh, his narrative across. And in this case, he's directed it directly at Kogi Fajardo. Jones is all about winning. And if he can find any way to do so, and in this instance, play some head games with a team that he knows they're going to have to potentially go through to get to where he wants to go and put more W's on the board, then Jones is going to do it. Now, I'm not saying, and I think we could probably all agree here, that if we were in Fajardo's position, that we might want to shoot back. And I'll just go back to my playing career. I'm definitely sure I would want to. But the way I would do it is throw a touchdown over Deron Carter's head or whoever the defensive back is, and then maybe let Jones hear about it a little bit on the sideline. I might wait until the whistle has gone and the clocks are at zero and the Rook Riders <laughs> have a W to do that having known what I know now compared to then. But anyways, that's how I think the talking should have been done, guys. And the reason is because you look at recently, all right, Bo Levi Mitchell, he's not on Twitter anymore. He has somebody running his Instagram, and it's a much different tone. Michael Riley had deleted his Twitter. Trevor Harris had done the same thing. Vernon Adams Jr. deletes it and puts it back on again and deletes and puts it back on again. And there's some people wondering where he's at, I think, fairly around the league in terms of his headspace. Zach Caleros has Twitter, but he's not very active on it at all. So I think the issue here is Fajardo being active on social media himself. If he wants to get his message out, he can tell his people around him to do that on social media. But if you look at the recent franchise-type quarterbacks and the guys that have won great cups, we just listed them off. Caleros has two. We know Riley has one. Mitchell has two. Harris has taken teams there as well with Ottawa. I think you've got to shut that off and just channel all of that energy into being the best quarterback that you can be. Because I hate saying it, but it's the truth. There's only so many hours in the jet in the day. And as Hodge said, if Jones is living rent-free, he's in there at some point in his head making a difference. We got to wrap this, boys. On this day in 1996, the Carolina Panthers selected Tim Biakabatuka of Montreal in the first round of the NFL draft. That's right, JC. I nailed that. The six foot, 215 pound ball carrier was plagued by injuries over his six year career, appearing in 50 of a possible 96 games. Biakabatuka finished his career with 611 carries for 2,530 yards and 14 touchdowns, along with 77 receptions for 789 yards and three scores. He remains the second highest Canadian player 
ever selected in the NFL draft at eighth overall. And boys, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's the only guy ahead of him? Uh, oh, um, I'm blanking on the first name. Is it is it Ruben Mays? Is that the nope? No, no it was a Green Bay Packer. 1989. Name right now. Second overall, right? Uh, Tony Mandrich, nice guy, did not play well in the NFL. On that note, we got to take it. Three-minute drill. Let's go. Two-time CFL All-Star running back Alvin Skipwalker passed away at 67. How legit was he as a back with the Rough Riders? I think he, and I, I can't remember watching him play. It was before my time. But looking up what he was able to accomplish, pretty amazing stuff. And the, the, the feedback on social media from old-school Ottawa football fans was overwhelming. Clearly a beloved player in the nation's capital. The Alouettes have invited coaches from every Quebec university and their local pro women's team, the Montreal Blitz, to training camp. That's a nice move, isn't it? A fantastic move. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier about reaching out at the grassroots and, and collegiate level in Canada. I don't understand why more teams aren't doing this. It's free labor and it only helps the U-Sports product going forward. Cody Fajardo told CKRM that he felt sick when he realized he didn't target Shaq Evans once in last year's West Final. Can you believe he didn't even throw a pass once Evans' way? It is unbelievable when you think of the love affair that they had, especially in 2019. And Fajardo referenced that him and Jason Moss talked about it after the game, but why were they not talking about that after the first quarter, after halftime? You got these iPads there and everybody tracking these stats now. I can't believe he didn't get a ball thrown his way. Stampeders released disgruntled defensive back Derek Jones, who has since signed in the United States Football League. Was that the right decision by Mr. John Kopnagel? To me, it's kind of the worst of both worlds. You had the public stink of not releasing him, and then you did it anyway. Like To me, like pick one and not, not both. The new survey ranked the Montreal Alouettes as the fourth most reputable pro sports franchise in Canada, with the Stampeders and Blue Bombers checking in at 5 and 10, respectively. How did the Saskatchewan Rough Riders not make this list? It's got a lot of backlash on social media, and I want to say, we did not do this survey, Riders fans. This is a reputable <laughs> company. Direct it to them, not to us. But unfortunately, the trade-off of being so recognizable and so well-known is unfortunately people have, you know, as many bad opinions about you as they do good. And so that's the price of your success. Vernon Adams Jr. took care of all the expenses to host a mini camp in Washington State for him and nine teammates. Is that a smart move, Dunk? It was. Notably, Trevor Harris was not there, but I should say, I was a teammate of VAJ, I'd be super happy because he took care of the wives, his kids, or the kids that they brought as well. It everything planned out. So VA, good on you, man. I like it. Winnipeg has brought back return specialist Janarian Grant, who became a free agent back in February. Does that make sense, Mr. Huff? I think it does. Janarian Grant was not as effective in 2021 as he was in 2019, but I also think that Winnipeg special teams units were maybe not quite as sharp in their return uh, uh, execution in terms of blocking. So I would like to see what Janarian Grant does in 2022. Former Riders quarterback Paxton Lynch finished his USFL debut by completing two of five pass attempts for one yard and an interception. How rotten is that? 
positively putrid. Now it's a small sample size, but as uh, as one of our contributors for Three Down Nation commented, he played as if he thought he was going to be a late game scratch. That was pretty apt. The blue Blo- the blue bombers made a one hundred thousand dollar donation of equipment to local youth and women's football teams. Is that a good idea? It's a great idea, man. And we talked about the league not doing very much at a grassroots level earlier. Well, some of the teams have taken the initiative in the past, honestly, too, to do it on their own. The league needs to get together and do more things like this. Great initiative from the Winnipeg Football Club. The BC Lions announced the defensive tackle Steven Richardson will miss a significant amount of time this season after sustaining an off-season injury during a workout session. Is that a big deal? It's a big deal. The BC Lions, I thought he was an excellent uh, uh, addition to that defensive line. BC's been working really hard to upgrade that defensive line in recent years. I thought Richardson was going to have an outstanding season for them. Best of luck to him as he rehabs. Hopefully he's not done for the year. On that note, folks, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.